Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Would anyone like to chant the verse, please? Virakta's Chindriya Ratha, Bhakti Yogena Bhuyasa, Tamnirantara Bhavena, Bhaje Tadha Vimuktaye. Word meanings Virakta Cha. Completely renounced order of life. Indriya Ratha, in the matter of sense gratification. Yogena, by the process of devotional service. Puyasa, with great seriousness, come unto him, the Supreme. Nirantara, constantly, 24 hours daily. Havena, in the topmost stage of ecstasy. Hajeta, must worship. Adha, directly. Vimuktaye, for liberation. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. If one is very serious about liberation, <coughs> he must stick to the process of transcendental loving service, engaging 24 hours a day in the highest stage of ecstasy. And he must certainly be aloof from all activities of sense gratification. Please repeat. If one is very serious about liberation, if one is very serious about liberation, he must stick to the process of transcendental loving service. He must stick to the process of transcendental loving service. Engaging 24 hours a day, engaging 24 hours a day, in the highest stage of ecstasy, in the highest stage of ecstasy. And he must certainly be aloof. And he must certainly be aloof. From all activities of sense gratification. From all activities of sense gratification. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. There are different stages of perfection according to different persons' objectives. Generally, people are karmis for they engage in activities of sense gratification. Above the karmis are the jnanis who are trying to become liberated from material entanglement. Yogis are still more advanced because they meditate on the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And above all these are the devotees who simply engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. They are situated seriously on the topmost platform of ecstasy. Here, Juvan Raj is advised that if he has no desire for sense gratification, then he should directly engage himself in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. The path of upper varga or liberation begins from the stage called moksha. In this verse, the word vimuktaye for liberation is especially mentioned. If one wants to be happy within this material world, he may, he may aspire to go to the different planetary systems where there is a higher standard of sense gratification. But real moksha or liberation 
is performed without any such desire. This is explained in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu by the term Anyabilashita Shunyam, without desire for material sense gratification. For persons who are still inclined to enjoy material life in different stages or on different planets, the stage of liberation in bhakti yoga is not recommended. Only persons who are completely free from the contamination of sense gratification can execute bhakti yoga or the process of devotional service very purely. The activities on the path of Apavarga up to the stages of Dharma, Artha, and Kama are meant for sense gratification. But when one comes to the stage of Moksha, the impersonalist liberation, the practitioner wants to merge into the existence of the Supreme. But that is also sense gratification. When one goes above the stage of liberation, however, he at once becomes one of the associates of the Lord to render transcendental loving service. That is technically called Vimukti. For this specific Vimukti liberation, Narad Muni recommends that one directly engage himself in devotional service. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun militamina tasmai shri gurave jai shri krishna chaitanya prabhu nityananda shri advaita gadadhar shri vasadi gorbakta brinda hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare hare Vanchakalpa Tarubyascha, Vipasindu Vyavacha, Patitanam Pavanivya, Vaishnavipyamanamaha. Hare Krishna, dear devotees, good morning. The verse, if one is very serious about liberation, he must stick to the process of transcendental loving service, engaging 24 hours a day in the highest stage of ecstasy. And he must certainly be aloof from all activities of sense gratification. Narad Muni, he is speaking here, the great saint Narad Muni, he is speaking to his disciple who is more than willing. He's very excited and very receptive to hear and follow, execute these instructions of his Guru Maharaj. And what instructions are there? They are, it seems like a very exacting, very tall order here that Narad Muni is recommending. First of all, Narad Muni, seeing he probed his disciple and he found out where the disciple was at. And then he designed, he designed a, a schedule. He created a program for Dhruva Maharaj to follow. This program entailed that you you meditate on the form of the supreme first of all said you should go in a place conducive to this practice you should go in a madhavan forest and um, <clears throat> you should take baths three times a day so he went into some detail 
then you should meditate on the personal form of the Lord. He gave a description of what the Lord looks like. Then you should chant Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. You should have a deity of the Lord and worship that deity. <coughs> And you should also meditate on the pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he chalked out this program because he knew that the candidate had these material desires to have all this wealth and um, to have a kingdom greater than his great grandfather than every, anyone can ever imagine. So he, he recommended this process. He did not recommend any other process. He recommended that you should do devotional service. You should do bhakti as opposed to all these other processes like karma yoga, uh, jnana yoga, ashtanga yoga. Although he is doing a form of karma yoga that he's recommending here, dovetailing the body, the mind, everything, the senses, the intelligence in the service of Krishna as we see in Dhruva Maharaja's personal program given to him by Narad Muni. But now Narad Muni, he's explaining that within that Bhakti Yoga, there are different levels. There are different gradations of devotion. So he's giving him like a wide spectrum of Bhakti Yoga that he understands that Dhruva Maharaj is not, uh, not on that level where he could go directly into Shuddha Bhakti. And what is Shuddha Bhakti? It's pure devotional service. But yet he's letting him know that yes, there are these different levels and this level is the highest. And that's what he's explaining today, that you should stick to the process of transcendental loving service. He gave him the process, you should stick to it and be stira. you should be steady. Stay in devotional service. And this, this highest platform, what does it consist of? What does it entail? That you engage yourself 24 seven, 24 hours a day in the highest, you must be in ecstasy in that stage. One has to be in ecstasy and one has to be aloof from all activities of sense gratification. So Narad Muni gave him all, he explained all the different nuances of bhakti. He gave him everything and Yes, what he's saying is this description of Shuddha Bhakti, this is actually Shuddha Bhakti and Yabhilashita Shunyam without desire for material sense gratification. It seems very difficult. It reminds me of what Arjuna was telling Krishna when Krishna described the Ashtanga yoga process in the Bhagavad Gita, where after listening, Arjuna said that this practice that you've described, it seems unendurable to me. So to me, it seems difficult and even impossible for the modern day person, what Narad Muni is describing here. And yet he could tell, he could tell Dhruva Maharaj about this, that this is the highest platform. You do bhakti yoga, there are different levels of bhakti yoga, and this is the highest. You can do this too because he knows his, uh, his uh, shishya, his disciple, he understands whom he's speaking to. And this person, the, the student himself, he's listening, he's just really open and really receptive. 
So you have these two people here. You get both enthusiastic. The spiritual master, he's inclined because he's seeing how motivated in a positive way Juba Mirage is. So my question to you is like, on uh, what basis is it? What is the foundation of this that this teacher could reveal all this confidential knowledge to the student? What What is the basis of that? Can anyone say that he can actually recommend this, this uh, stage that he Dhruva Maharaj can try out, which seems so very difficult. It seems almost impossible. And yet Dhruva Maharaj, he is very positive and he's willing to listen. What is all this based on? Can anyone say? So it's based on, on relationship, positive relationship, a relationship of love and trust. And that's what all relationships really in, in this world are based on. Relationships, hopefully, of love and trust. It depends on what kind of love that is and trust. And to have love and trust in a relationship, to, to have that love, to have that trust in someone, you have to know that person. Especially in this situation here, where it is seen that Narad Muni is in the position of someone who's telling Juva Maharaj what to do with his life and giving him all the details, how he can be successful. And he's like an active instigator in Juva Maharaj's trajectory as he takes off into spiritual practice, into this deep contemplation. He has to be a a special person. He has to be the spiritual master we're seeing here that he has to be of a certain caliber to instill that faith and trust in the disciple. And the disciple himself, he has to be qualified. So in order for success to take place, both the teacher and the student, they both have to be qualified. And in that way, proactive success can be attained. So let's see what are some of the qualities of a spiritual master. Here's this person giving all these instructions which seem quite, quite difficult. What are some of the qualities of a spiritual master? Can anyone say, is anyone there? What are some of the qualities of a spiritual master? Since he's supposed to transmit spiritual knowledge. He plays a crucial role in the life of a student. I was thinking patience. Because it takes patience to um, work with someone and be patient with them as they grow. Patience is there. What about the actual qualities um, of the character? Oh, OK the qualification of a spiritual master. What are some of the qualities of a spiritual master? You have somebody coming and telling you, you should do like this. You should give up your life. You should work for this mission. You should practice these different austerities. Who is that person to tell us that? What are their qualifications, their credibility? 
Hare Krishna. Yes, Rupa. I was just thinking how Rupa Goswami and Rupadeshamrita explains, you know, Bacho Vegam, Manasukrota Vegam, that they need to um, control the senses, you know, the Vegams, the pushings, and um, anger, and all these things uh, to be qualified to make disciples. So I was just thinking of that one particular reference. Thank you, Nidra Prabhu. Yes. Srila Rupa Goswami, he gives a definition if someone wants to get a guru, then actually the scriptures admonish such a person that they should acquaint themselves with the qualifications of a bona fide spiritual master. So often we hear the term bona fide and qualified. And in order to get someone who is practically ruling your life in so many respects, someone you're hearing from day one, they're the representative of God. Sakshadhari Vena Samasta Shastri. You should praise the spiritual master so many times during the day. He, the orders of the spiritual master, your life and soul. This person has to be really, really qualified. So Srila Rupa Goswami, he affirms that in the Upadesham read, like he says, a spiritual master, the definition is any sober person who can tolerate the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the reactions of anger and the urges of the tongue, belly and genitals is qualified to make disciples all over the world. So prospective candidate might wanna know, well, how can I know that? And how can we know that the spiritual master actually lives up to these basic qualifications? We can know that by, by association, by associating with the spiritual master um, it is enjoined that both of them should live together. The student should live with the spiritual master. There should, in the very beginning, the foundation of the relationship is not an impersonal thing. The ideal thing is to have the vapu, the vapu of the spiritual master, at least in the beginning. In this dead jet age, it might not be so possible but then one can communicate in other ways. There are various ways with technology, keeping in touch, communication, but that personal touch, that human contact is there. And in that way, they check each other out. You know, they observe each other over a period of time. So that is recommended, association with the spiritual master, getting to know each other, and taking an interest in the relationship. So that's very important, that uh, association. Anything else? Thank you, Nidra Prabhu. Qualifications of the spiritual master. What other qualifications should such a person who has such a, a powerful influence in somebody's entire life, what other qualifications we should look for? Hare Krishna. Yes, Samir Prasad. Uh, one thing is that um, the spiritual master is able to understand the qualities of each of his of each of their disciples. They're able to understand um, what the tendencies of the disciple are and how to best engage them in Krishna service. Um, Shri Prabhupada makes that point. So. Uh, you, there has to be the capacity to, to take the 
uh, essential practice of devotional service and the universal truths of it and apply it within somebody's life according to where they're at in the modes of nature and in the Varnashram and in their, you know, life journey, just being able to fit that and the ability to see what, what, what the person is, um, what the person's qualities are and not um, kind of try to fit a round peg into a square hole kind of thing. <clears throat> Yes, in that process of getting to know each other, to develop a relationship, in that observation of each other, the guru is also seeing the nature of the, the disciple, the psychophysical nature, where they're at. And we see that in the case of Narad Muni. In the first place, he came. He came and he was there. Juva Maharaj was, was alone in that lonelier forest. And nobody... Nobody even thought of coming to see him how he's doing, but Narad Muni came. He came, Paramatma in the heart, Krishna sent him. God, God sent Narad Muni. So Narad Muni, just by showing up there, it showed that he cared, that he was interested. And that's very important in, in any relationship. That genuine care and concern that's unmotivated and not self-serving, but it's actually selfless serving. So he came, he showed he was interested. He talked to the child in a way and uh, in, in a way that can reveal Dhruva Maharaj's goals and aspirations. He probed him, he's like, what are you doing here, you little talk? You should go back home. So in, in this way, he was getting to know these and then he found out, he found out what are the goals? What's motivating this stubborn little Chatriya prince? to be here and he's so adamant, I'm not leaving, I'm staying. Uh, I'm just focused on my goal. So that's so very, he took that time to find out. For him to arrive at the stage where he could give these instructions here, like, you know, this is the highest stage of Shuddha Bhakti. And if you're serious about liberation, Dhruva, then you can do this. To reach that stage from first meeting Dhruva Maharaj in the forest up to now, we see, Right there and then, a relationship was forged. And we also see that Dhruva Maharaj had heard about him. So he knew about, he knew about Narad Muni and he could see that there was credibility there, that this person is tried and proven. He has a reputation for just take, giving everyone Krishna consciousness indiscriminately and being so very compassionate and saintly. So they were getting to know each other and there's this credibility that, that was building between them and that faith and love. So thank you. Anybody else? Any other qualifications? The guru should be, as you say, very uh, discerning and figure out what's the psychophysical nature of the disciple and engage him accordingly. Any other important qualifications of the spiritual master? Well, I was thinking that, you know, the spiritual master has to have some experience practicing, not just some, but, you know, a substantial amount of experience in practicing Krishna conscious, you know, to a deep degree so that there's insight and understanding how to guide someone in that spiritual path. They've had experience different stages along the way like that. Thank you. Yes, yeah, spiritual master should have some experience. He ought to. That's why sometimes if someone sees a person who seems very charismatic, 
very glamorous personality, spiritual personality, chanting, so very versed in the scriptures. Everything seems right. It's just perfect. It's important to find out if one's attracted to such a person or thinking of having such a person as their spiritual master, just the very word master. Someone is your master, especially in this day and age of liberation. Nobody likes to have a master over them, even if it's their own mother. So then it's important. It's actually wise for the seeker to find out the background of the person. What lineage you come from? Is it a bona fide lineage? What sampradaya? What school? Spiritual master, that experience he has, is he himself is a student. He's always a student. Like there's this first, they're saying, what is it? I live to be corrected, <laughs> right? So spiritual master is always a student himself. So he is acquainted and familiar with the dynamics between the teacher and the student. And he has learned from his spiritual master who has learned from his spiritual master, you know, the principle of parampara, learning in disciplic succession. So it's very important that a person has experience, is in the shoes also of a disciple. And in that way, he's more sensitive to the needs of his disciple. So he has experience as a disciple, and also as a teacher, he has both. So that must be there. And we see that in our line of spiritual masters, they, are, they always see themselves as students, even of their own disciples, sometimes they're seeing that. So one of the qualities of the spiritual master is not proud and arrogant and just will cut somebody off because what he says, that's, that's the verdict and he's omniscient. Spiritual master is not infallible. Krishna is an infallible. And he's always open and ready to learn more and more. Like Narad Muni, he has some degree of omniscience, but yet he's being very personal. And he's interacting with Dhruva Maharaj to really find out more about him. He's interested. He cares. And whatever experience a spiritual master has, whatever expertise, he has gained along the way. He prays to Krishna that he can, in, he can utilize it and be instrumental in the service of, of the students. So he wants to engage, the, he's living in the present. He wants to engage the student uh, properly in, in a personal way in devotional service. He doesn't have an agenda. Oh, maybe this person can fit in in this way. Or I have a mission or or this is, I have certain things I want to achieve because what happens a lot sometimes is when the student finds out that they're being manipulated, then that faith and trust is broken and one feels betrayed. And then one can fall from the path of spiritual practice. It's a big turnoff. And Prabhupada talks about that because he says in this day and age, there are so many so-called gurus they're called professional gurus. And they don't have people's, people's benefit, welfare at heart, because they have their own agendas already and they see how their disciples or people who come in the fold can fit in. So it's more self-serving. So such gurus, Prabhupada, he always warns that we should be 
very much uh, we should be aware of them because not only they, might they be self-serving and materialistic, but they can lead us on the wrong path. They can lead us to think that we are God or there is no God or they, they just they just fool people and make people cheapen the yoga pro process. So thank you for that. Anything else? Qualifications of a guru. There's one other important quality I was thinking about. Hi, Krishna, mother. Um, yes, I was, I, was, um, I was thinking that the guru needs to know and be connected to Krishna in order to give us Krishna. That's it? <laughs> okay, yes. thank you. Yeah, that's very important. That's good. That's very good. He has to be connected with Krishna. So in other words, he has to be Krishna conscious. So that comes to the Guru's character. What kind of person this is? Sometimes, not many times this is asked, especially by people who know better and learn more along the path. They'll hear about this person. Oh, you must come and see this guru. He's so charismatic. When I hear him talk, I'm in ecstasy. I really resonate with him. And then the devotee, the experienced practitioner will say, what kind of person is he really like? Is he one of the good ones? What is he really like? What is his character? So that's very important. Is he really Krishna conscious? Or is it a personality? Is he a social figure? Oh, when I come around, you know, I have this, it's like a personality cult, a social figure. Oh, this guru is known for this and for that, but what kind of person is he? So that's very important. It's crucially important also. Surely there's an external image that one is projecting to the public. There's a glamorous personality that might be there, but what kind of person? Is he really Acharya? Is he really Swami? What does Acharya mean? Acharya means one who sets example. Example is better than precept, it's said. One who practices what he preaches. He might have very shining personality externally to the public. And everyone is dazzled by that and wants to join, wants to be, wants to be a groupie, wants to be a fan, wants to be a disciple. But therefore, research has to be there again, as the Vedas say. It is our responsibility to find out, is this person qualified to be my teacher? Even in the secular academic world, we want someone who knows his job and the guru, he has to transmit knowledge, but is this person a fit person in all respects? So in the, in the Vedic system, it's not only you just come and give knowledge like in an academic classroom, but it's your character too. Because you're, if you're of dubious character, then that it, it colors, it contaminates what we are presenting. If we practice what we're preaching, like they said, purity is the force. If we practice what we're preaching, then the, the wisdom, the knowledge that's being transmitted is very powerful and it can touch the hearts 
of the students even more powerfully. So the transmitter himself has to have a certain degree of purity in order to transmit and be a vehicle for that pure knowledge, that pure wisdom. So Chari, he who lives, nobody wants someone when they find out in there, oh, this person is acting whimsically or perhaps not following the basic regulated principles like Narad Muni is saying. Such a person must be aloof from all activities of sense gratification. Actually, this description he's giving here in this text today, this applies to someone who's a teacher as well. It applies to the guru. It applies to everyone. You want to reach this stage of liberation or you want to be a teacher, you have to qualify yourself. Just like in the academic system, you want to teach, you want to teach in primary school. Perhaps you have to have at least maybe a bachelor's degree. If you want to teach in a high school, you have to have a master's degree. If you want to teach community college, master's degree, or maybe more than that. So the higher you go, the more qualified you have to be. So it's not just your technical skills. Oh, I'm so versed in the Vedas and the scriptures, so many verses I can quote. But what kind of person you are? What's your level of Krishna consciousness? And one might think, well, wow, that seems kind of harsh. But then you have to think about the other person. The student is very harsh also because you're giving your life. What does the guru want? What is the dakshin? He say, oh, I, I don't want anything. Sometimes they might want some, some sort of dakshin in a way that seems corrupt. They might want one's life. I want your life. I want to know every single thing you do in every sphere of activity. You are mine. You belong to me. It can be like that. And when we see stuff like that happening, then one has to think twice. There's some red flags, as they say, going up like that. So that's why even being a teacher, there's a checks and balance system. Would anyone like to say anything about this checks and balance system? for people who are in positions of authority, like a teacher. So in the Vedic system, what are the checks and balance system that's in place there? And that should be observed and be, um, be known. What's that checks and balance system for the teacher? Can anyone say? So, in, in place, it's the, the Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra system. Guru is there, but whatever he says always has to be in line with Shastra. Similarly, like whatever Sadhu says has to be in line with Shastra. It's not like the Guru has to be listened at the expense of Shastra or Shastra has to be in line with Guru. It's not like that. The Guru does not have the last word. Shastra does not have to conform with Guru. Guru has to conform with Shastra. That doesn't necessarily mean that Guru cannot uh, be flexible in certain situations like where he makes certain, it might seem like a compromise, 
but he adapts what's said uh, like in the details of service for a disciple. It doesn't mean that. It means if the, the guru is not following basic principles of spiritual life, if he's not acting and following the rules, if he's not going by the basic underlying rules of being a teacher. So anyway, I was just thinking this is very important because we're seeing here Narad Muni, he gives such a tall order, like this is the highest. If he can do that, Dhruva, go for it. He knows Dhruva in that little, that short exchange that they had. He already, they already kind of checked each other out and he assessed the disciple. He's so very expert and experienced, as you're saying, that he knows that he can tell him about this highest, highest platform of Shuddha Bhakti. He can foretell, he can see in the future. He's that kind of guru that Dhruva will actually go for this. He'll go for the highest. So we're seeing here that yes, the guru, he does also, as Shami Prasa said, check out the psychophysical nature of the disciple. And there's so many dynamics involved in that relationship. And on both sides, people not, should not be lazy and should not take things for granted and let the relationship fall by the wayside and just languish. Then, especially the, the, the student can lose by that. Relationship should be kept alive and be kept very dynamic. Communication should be there. Consultation should be there. Mentoring going along. And that faith and trust, if it's if it's there, then a positive relationship can come out of it and both will benefit. Then there will be there will be actually success. And we see throughout the scriptures, Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, we're seeing there's this very harmonious relationship between the teacher and the student. Just like we have here, they didn't they they didn't meet each other for long, but like intuitively and from hearing from Shravanam also, they know about each other and this, this relationship is far formed, this healthy relationship. And similarly in the Bhagavad Gita, we're seeing that Krishna, he listened to Arjuna, he was a good listener. Also the teacher, it's not like he already has a formula for you. He was a good listener. He listened to the gripes and complainings and the lamentation of Arjuna, he listened to him. They had already had a friendly relationship, one of mutual respect and trust. And so in that way, the relationship flourished and Arjuna could pose questions. He could even challenge Krishna. And uh, so they had a very nice exchange and what came of it in the end, we are seeing that Arjuna actually followed here what Narad Muni describes he reached that higher stage where he could he could fight, he could do his duty. It's not as though that you abandon your duty by the wayside and you just engage in what Narad Muni is describing here. It seems like you have to give up everything, not necessarily. So that relationship was quite positive and healthy. And Arjuna in the end, he could fight and he could also think about Krishna. He was in the highest stage of ecstasy, believe it or not, and aloof from activities of sense gratification. No longer did he not want to fight because he wouldn't be happy without his 
relatives whom he would have killed. So we see that relationship went very nicely. Then Krishna himself, Krishna himself, he demonstrated like the, the, the importance of having a sound, healthy relationship between the teacher and the student. Like it said so very nicely in the Krishna book that uh, Krishna as a little student, he went to, he, he was a little student in school. He had teachers like Sandipani Muni and he went and he did service. God served his teacher. So he went in the forest with his friend, Sudama Brahman. They went to collect firewood. They were doing very menial work. You know, that's also, he also practices what he's preaching. Like he says in the Bhagavad Gita, Tadvidi Pranipatena Pariprashnena Sevaya Upadekshanti Te Gyanam Gyanina Statvadarshana that just try to learn the truth. Try to learn the truth, the absolute truth, you know. Inquire from a spiritual master, render service unto him. He will impart knowledge unto you because he has seen the truth. So he said that and then he acted it out. He served the spiritual master. He went in the forest. They got caught in this rainstorm and the spiritual master went in the morning. He was so worried with the other students to look for Krishna and Sudama. He was very pleased with them. He was very, very pleased and he blessed them that you have taken all inconvenience on my behalf. And I bless you. May, may you always, may the, the Vedic imports always be there in mind. And then there's this very beautiful verse here that I quite like where it, um, it explains like only unto those great souls who have implicit faith in the Supreme Lord and the spiritual master are all the imports of Vedic knowledge automatically revealed. Yasya Deve Parabhaktir Yata Deve Tatavu Tasyaite Katihyarta Prakashanti Mahatmanaha. So in this regard, the story of Krishna we are seeing here, he had implicit faith in the spiritual master and such a spiritual master, he knew is a genuine bona fide spiritual master. So we are hearing all the, this is like before the, the term spiritual master, we are hearing bona fide. But what is really bona fide, the Latin term, in good faith? Have a spiritual master, like Caesar's wife should be above suspicion. It's so very crucially important if we want to take to something so serious as our spiritual life to have guidance as to how to nurture ourself, our real self, our soul, that we get the best. And how can we get the best? It's not a cheap thing. We have to search for it. We have to be a seeker. And if we think we find it, then there are checks and balances by which we can find out what is this really genuine or is it fake? So the Vedic scriptures help us with that. They show that there are certain criteria by which we can be able to see what is a fake diamond and what is a genuine diamond. So I'll stop here if there are any uh, questions or comments, discussion, if you please. Thank you.
Would anyone like to say something, make a statement, a declaration, a question, an observation, a quote? Hi, right, Krishna Prabhu. Thanks so much. Wonderful class. And uh, I was just wondering how um, a disciple can have that kind of um, faith and confidence and patience in um, the devotees and the guru when they see uh, so much of the opposite, maybe within the spiritual society and society at large. In other words, um, most people are doubting and don't have faith and trust. So how do they build that up? <laughs> how do they have faith and trust? How can we have faith and trust? Yes. Yes, so if we want to be a student, first of all, it's like, do I really want to be a student and what kind of student? Do I want to be a frivolous student? I just want to learn something just to know about it and go on to something else or am I really serious? So what's the motives? What's the driving force behind that? Wanting, wanting a spiritual master, a, a spiritual teacher. So according to the level of sincerity and seriousness of the prospective pupil, then they do what's even done in, in the material world. You know, you do, we do some, some research. We do some research, we find out about things, you know, just for any old thing, even if we're buying an item and we're shopping, we check the reviews, we want to find out, you know, first of all, we hear what the company says about their product, right? And then we learn after a while to check the reviews what people say about the product. So we research for things because we want the best. We don't want to be cheated. We want the best for less too sometimes. We want the best for us, but for less. We're not ready to put out as much, but we still want the best for us and we want a good deal. We want a bargain and so on. So what are the motives also of the, of the student? Are they really serious? You know, so research has to be there. Association has to be there. We associate with the person and not just like in a, a wild public atmosphere, you know, where it seems so very, uh, enticing, you know, it's so attractive in the midst of some lecture or singing, you know, like, in, you know, ordinary quiet circumstances, quietly working together, getting to know each other. So that Sangha is important, that Vapu is important. It does establish a foundation for relationship. We are not impersonalists to always be having like long distance communication. At human touch, and human contact is also necessary. So Sangha association, background check, yes, research, those are two important factors that have to be there if we don't want to be cheated. Would you like to add anything to that? Thanks so much. Yeah, that's really, really important. And um trying to um, have the, the physical association and doing, you know, rendering service 
um, making the relationship like you're talking about. Um, is this like a compatible, spiritually compatible relationship um, and giving it a little time? Yeah, thanks so much, Ruru. I, yeah, I was just remembering something else too about the disciples, prospective disciples, like what do I really want? Do I want someone who's accessible, who's more personal with me? Uh, what degree of intimacy what am I expecting from that relationship? What sort of attention do I want? Because sometimes devotees, they are not just Hare Krishna devotees, but spiritualists who have accepted a guru. It's such a pop popular thing now, having a guru, you know, kind of like it's made kind of like a fad. Like, um, <coughs> excuse me. One may be very eager to accept someone who's attractive and very popular or famous, reputable person to be their teacher. And they're very happy. And when the glamour wears off, getting um, initiated by such a person, accepted by such a person, they might become disillusioned or disappointed because they find a relationship is, has become a bit impersonal and stale because of lack of accessibility or one becomes like anonymous. One becomes just like a digit, a, a, a figure like a number of the one of the thousands of people who are disciples of this person. I have personally met um, disciples of different gurus and they, they would say, um, oh, I saw my guru and he didn't even remember me. He didn't. He, forgot my name like that so it it might be the fault of the disciple to not keeping in touch but both has to be there both both of them have to make an effort if they want the relationship to work otherwise it becomes quite stagnant so that's another thing i, I was thinking of thank you nature would anyone else like to say something about the importance of having a relationship at all between the teacher and the student? Well, one thing I was thinking is, well, two things is how important, um, how important it is that we have shiksha gurus. Like what you're saying, there are diksha gurus that have many, um, many, many diksha disciples. And that doesn't necessarily infer anything implicitly of their, um, I mean, some of them are in, actually empowered and um, empowered by the parampara to take many disciples. At the same time, many of them encouraged to take um, shiksha and actually in, in our lineage, shiksha gurus are even more emphasized because of the personal aspect. And, and that's that second point and what you're saying too is that it's so important that we have that personal um, contact because as you say love and trust that we we won't really we won't really we don't care what someone knows until we know that someone cares so you know the tendency for us to actually open our hearts and and take to heart what someone is saying there has to be that level of personal understanding thank you yes very valuable points appreciate that I'm just thinking also like 
Yeah, there are many shiksha gurus and they do play, play very important roles in the lives of, of these devotees, actively guiding them every day, you know, <clears throat> and um, filling in that need that is there to have that, uh, con that, that ability to be there for advice and guidance and consultation. Still, we see the position of the Diksha Guru in spiritual societies. It is there, the Diksha Guru. He has his preeminent position and uh, in much importance, uh, a ceremony and pomp and worship will be there of the Guru, uh, the Diksha Guru. And the Shiksha Gurus are, might be taken for granted or they're just there on on the side and there's not that much uh, appreciation and gratitude that's there. The yesterday I attended a, a funeral um, online, one of my Shiksha Gurus. Uh, yes, and yeah, just, just attending it online and seeing certain things and there were hardly anybody really to say anything about that person. I just felt like unutterably sad about it because if it was a Diksha Guru, it would have been a huge thing. I know that for sure. And that happens a lot. The importance that's attached to that position of being the Diksha Guru in certain lineages. So yeah, for, for me myself, I know this, this person was like, that's the steadiest Pujari I've ever seen. I have I've never seen a Pujari. So not just steady, but doing the service in such a just such a normal, normal, jolly way, you know, never feeling stressed or literally this person. The, the steadiest cook, pujari, cowherd, kiritania I have ever seen. So I was just thinking about that. Wow, you know, if it was a Diksha guru, you would have so many people lining up to, to say things, you know, in memorial and there wasn't anything much, but we know that Krishna, Krishna is uh, giving credit to everyone, to all the teachers, whether they're Diksha or Shiksha. So thank you for that. Is there anything else? Otherwise, we can end here. Thank you very much. Shriman Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Shriman Prabhupada Ki Jai. Mother Paramishri Ki Jai, Haribo. Panchakal Paturu Bistra, Kripasindhi Bhavacha, Patita Nam Pavane Bhavai Ki Jai. Vaishna Bhavya Namo Namo.